Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we can be here a second time to worship our Lord this afternoon. A warm welcome to all of you, also to those who join us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and our lives to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and that we may live our lives in praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Next week, Sunday, is Christmas Day. The afternoon service will be held at 3pm instead of at 4pm. And Reverend Poppy will lead the worship service this afternoon. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together hymn 84, verse 2. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to God. We're going to sing from Psalm 97, the verses 1 and 5.
Let's now make a profession of our faith. This afternoon, let's do so with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, this Sunday afternoon we come again into your presence. Do so with much gratitude, Lord. Thank you that you call us to meet with you. Thank you that you want us to come into your presence because you wish to tell us about the grace and the mercy and the love that you have for us in Christ. Thank you also that you wish to teach us how to live as your people in all righteousness. We're so grateful for the gift of your word, Lord, that in your word you reveal your character to us and you, you teach us how to walk with you in a way that honors you. Father, we pray that you would please work in our hearts that we treasure your word. Help us to understand what a great God you are. Help us to realize that the, the means you use to draw us near to you is your self-revelation, especially the gift of your word. Please grant, Lord, that as we hear the proclamation of the gospel this afternoon, that we can be built up in our hearts, that we may be strengthened in our faith, that we put our trust in you as our Savior and Redeemer. Dear Lord, we also pray that you would please be with those members of our congregation who don't always treasure meeting with you and worshiping you, some people who are drifting away from you, there's some who have doubts of faith. We ask, Father, that you work powerfully in their hearts, that they humble themselves before you, that they understand how much they need you, that they may seek your face, and that, that you would work it in them with your Holy Spirit, that they come back to you. Father, we ask that you'd accept the worship that we offer you this afternoon, 
Please grant that the, the prayers we offer and the songs we sing and the confession we make and the thank offerings we bring before you may be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray, Father, that you would also please bless us through the communion of the saints. It's a rich treasure that we get to have each other, that we can know and love one another, that we can meet together here to worship you. We can sing together and pray together. It's also a special thing that we can have conversations with each other outside of church and we can chat together about many things and encourage one another. Please bless our relationships, Father, that we may function as, as your church family, that we have a lot of love for each other and that we show that in the way we live together. Please hear us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name, in the forgiveness of all our sins. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you as so we find that in the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment, the Lord says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God has given you. And in connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the scriptures. We're going to read the first seven verses of Romans 13. Then we're going to read 1 Peter 2, the verses 13 to 25. So I invite you to open your Bible, Romans 13, the verses 1 through 7. You can find that on page 1127 of your guest Bible. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. God's word says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So far our readings in Romans, then we're going to move to 1 Peter chapter 2. Find that on page 1204. One Peter two. We'll start reading at verse thirteen. God's word says, "Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people." Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the king that the Lord institutes and this king reigning righteously from the throne. It's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Psalm 72, the verses 1, 4, 7, and 10. Thank you. 
This afternoon I may preach God's word to you as it comes to us in the fifth commandment. We're going to consider what God teaches us there by looking at what the church has also summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find them on page 555 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 39, there the question asks, what does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me, submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline, and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Then after the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing together from Psalm 4, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus, one of the great gifts that God has given us is the gift of people who he set over us. The Lord is sovereign. He's reigning in heaven from the throne, and he has all authority over all things. After creating this world, he literally rules over everything and over everyone. But then as an act of grace, one of the kind things he does is he establishes structures of authority and he gives people his authority to take care of those under them. So he he invests his authority into parents and he gives them the task to raise their children to know and love God. He invests his authority in the office bearers and he gives them the task to have oversight of God's people and to help them to walk in God's ways. He invests his authority into governing officials and he commands them to have good oversight of the people so that the people can live together in peace and harmony that they can have good order in society together it's quite a a gift that we receive from our father in heaven now for many years as the church of christ we've had really good relationships with our governing authorities the government has had good respect for the church and the church has also had good respect for the government so the government sought to give the church independence give them freedom to worship God and the government for many years also accepted the moral instruction that came from the church and as church we are those who who pray for those in government we seek to bring them before the throne of grace and we ask God to bless them to give them wisdom and guidance and instruction to lead us in good ways. And we honor the governing officials. We hold them in high regard. We speak well of them. And we also submit to the governing officials. We recognize them as God's representatives and we willingly place ourselves under their authority. But you know, it's really in the past decades that there have been ways and times in which this relationship has come under strain. The government has passed laws that are inconsistent with what God teaches us in his word. If you think, for example, in the past 50 years, you have the introduction of no-fault divorce or the recognition of de facto relationships. It's during this time that abortions become legal and so is euthanasia. Homosexuality was decriminalized and same-sex marriage has been recognized by the government. 
There's now various jurisdictions in the world, and there's also laws considered in our state which make it a crime to discourage others from living out their homosexual or their transgender identity. It's also a crime in some places if you encourage your children to live out their their biological identity instead of mutilating their bodies and trying to change their genders. It's within this context that it's especially become difficult for us as a church in the last number of years. We had the the COVID pandemic. It is during this time that the government took some pretty drastic steps in order to seek to limit the spread of this disease. You may remember they shut the borders at one stage. They said that anyone who was a close contact with an individual who, who had this infection, that they needed to go into isolation, into quarantine for a few weeks. They said that you had to wear a mask in certain contexts. And then they limited the amount of people who could gather together, maybe 10 people, times it was 20 people, at times it was 30% of the capacity of the building. And then they also limited access to certain venues to only those who had been vaccinated. Well, it really led to some soul-searching. Does the government have authority to do that? Are there any limitations on the laws that a government can make? And what about our calling to obey them? Do we always have to submit to their authority? Or are there times where we can reject their authority? Is it legit for us to say on certain occasions, we are not going to obey the government in this situation? We're going to consider the Lord's calling, how we ought to respond to those in authority under this theme, the Lord calls us to submit to those in authority. We're going to look at the calling to submit, the reason to submit, and the way to submit. If you wish to understand how to approach those in authority, brothers and sisters, then the starting point is to recognize that all authority comes from God. God has invested his authority in the governing officials. They don't have it from themselves. They don't have it from the people who elected them. No, they have it from God. God explained this to his people pretty early in their history. Shortly after the Lord met with his people at Mount Sinai, they were told that Moses' rule over the people was challenged by Korah, Dathan, Abiram. You read the story in number 16. These men thought that Moses and Aaron had set themselves over the people. They'd gone too far by taking leadership for themselves and not sharing that leadership with others. And so they rejected Moses' authority. Well, do you remember the story? Do you remember what God said to them? He said, these men are not only rebelling against Moses, they're rebelling against me. Moses explained it, number 16, verse 11, therefore it is against the Lord that you and your company have gathered together. God authorized Moses and Aaron to have authority over the people. And those who resisted and rejected that authority were resisting and rejecting what God had established. It's part of the foundational teaching that the Apostle Paul gives, Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. The Lord established the authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. It's something that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke of even to the authorities. You have that situation in John 19. The Lord Jesus was arrested by the Pharisees and the scribes. He was brought to Pontius Pilate. And then they made all these accusations against him. And so Pilate engaged in this conversation with him and asked him a bunch of questions. And then at one point, Jesus didn't respond to any more questions. He stopped answering. And then Pilate asked him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? To which the Lord Jesus said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Your authority has come from God. You have authority, but it's something that's been given by God. Now, on one level, we can all accept that, brothers and sisters. We know that God has set the authorities over us, and we understand that we have to submit to them. And most of the time, we can do that with joy. The question becomes, what do you do if the government abuses its authority? How do you respond if the government is guilty of oppression or of injustice? Well, in the first place, it's just really important for us to put that into context. The reality is that we are immensely blessed by the governing authorities which we have, brothers and sisters. If you look at those in government, in the civil service, in the courts, in the police force, then the vast majority of them, virtually all of them, are honorable in their intentions and in their service. But the vast majority of the government officials in our country they're very honest in their dealings. They seek to do their tasks faithfully. And they're a huge blessing to us. Normal life, we have so many wonderful gifts that we receive through our government. You look around us, we have a, we have a country that's ruled by law. Somebody breaks into your home, you make a phone call, and five minutes later you can have the police that are standing on your door ready to arrest that person. What's well, a stunning gift. It's an incredible work that's being done by our governing officials. If someone commits a crime, then the normal course of events is that criminals are held to account for the injustices they've committed. There's justice that gets administered in our courts. That's a beautiful thing. Our government is, is busy ensuring that all sorts of things happen within our country. We have the healthcare system that's been organized and that's maintained by our government. If you get sick, you go to the hospital, you get stunning care, world-class care. And there's not much, usually there's not any, sometimes there's not much of a, a price tag that's attached to that. The government's developed and maintains a network of roads. Our town council's ensured that we have abundant supply of water. We have the garbage services. We have, sew we have sewage. Well, these things don't happen by themselves. This is the result of a lot of government officials who are faithfully doing their jobs and looking after us. It's important to honor them, to thank God for them, to hold them in high regard, 
and to speak well of them with the opportunities that we have. Well, what about those areas then where the government misuses its authority? They passed unjust laws that lead to oppression. You might think to yourself, it's really easy for Paul to say that we have to listen to the governing authorities and that the authorities exist, have been instituted by God. But you could think to yourself, you know, he doesn't know our government. He's not aware of the laws that have been passed here, the laws of abortion and euthanasia and same-sex marriage. Would he say the same thing if people can call up a doctor and get them to, to kill them? Or if the government pays for children to mutilate their own bodies because they want a gender realignment? Well, it's quite interesting, if you read the historic context of the time in which Paul lived, then the government then was actually passing laws that were even far more ungodly. You know, sometimes we struggle with some irregularities in the funding of government officials. But you know, back then, they lived under a government that was not only guilty of backstabbing, but it, it often had a situation where the governing officials, they just ruled. You, know, you had the Roman emperors, and they, they ruled, and they eliminated all their opponents. And so there was no opposition against them. We may think that the government doesn't do enough for the working people, but back then, you had 60 or 70% of the population that were slaves. And that was upheld by the government. If you had a slave, it was in your right to treat the slave as property, and you could do whatever you wanted. We may think that the government uses public money for some questionable projects, but you know, back then, they had the gladiatorial games. They had people who were fed to wild animals as a form of entertainment. We may wonder about the character of some of our elected representatives. You know, when Paul was writing, then Nero was around. After him, you had Caligula. Well, these men were cold-blooded killers. They were sexual perverts. They lived a horrific life. And yet, these were the rulers of the nation. Paul himself, he knew of the dark side of government from personal experience. In Acts 16.22, we read that he was publicly whipped without a trial. He once sat in prison for two years without having any formal charges being brought against him. He was left in prison after that because the elected representative wanted to do a favor to somebody else. And later in his life, he spent a lot more time in prison yet. And there was no recourse for him to get out of that. We'll talk about injustice. These are the kinds of things that Paul endured. And yet the next breath, he says, you must obey the governing officials. You have to honor them. You have to respect their authority. If you want another biblical example, you can think of King David, brothers and sisters. Now, David had a period of about seven years where King Saul was envious of him, and Saul was trying to kill him. And so David fled the country. He fled around through the desert. He escaped to Philistia. He did all sorts of things to try to get away from Saul. It's incredible, during that time, he still respected Saul's authority. There were a few occasions where he could have killed Saul. Saul came into a cave. David's men are telling him, this is your chance. You can take him out. You can become the king of Israel. 
And Saul rebukes, the, David rebukes the men. He says, we can't do that. This is the Lord's anointed. And then another time, he breaks into the camps. Saul's fast asleep. His men are fast asleep. He breaks into the camp. He takes his water jug and his spear, and he escapes back out of there. And he had the opportunity to kill him again, but he respects the authority that God invested in King Saul. With the words of Psalm 18, he doesn't take matters into his own hands, but he entrusts them into his heavenly father. Well, brothers and sisters, we are people of a heavenly kingdom. We understand that there may be times where government officials are guilty of oppression and injustice. But you know, if you experience that, that doesn't mean that you immediately rebel against it. The gut reaction of God's people is in the first place that we bear up under it. It's in the book of Hebrews that God calls his people to endure suffering under unjust rulers for his sake. You have these new Christians. They renounced their former way of life. They believed in Jesus Christ as their savior and they're suffering intensely because of it. It was really hard for them to persevere because of the injustices that they experienced. It was so easy for them to renounce Jesus Christ and go back to their former way of life and to have all the perks that they used to have. Well, the author to the Hebrews, he calls them to be steadfast. He reminds them of God's love for them. He reminds them of all that Christ has done for them. And he calls them to be patient because they are looking forward to a better inheritance. He also tells them that God disciplines those whom he loves so that they might share in his grace. And we actually read something similar in 1 Peter 2 just a few moments ago. It's in verses 12 to 14. There the apostle Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So God says you need to submit to every human institution for the sake of his name. You bear his name. You're his representative. He says you should live such an exemplary life that when unbelievers, they want to they say, hey, did you, did you see what he did or did you hear what he said? That there's nothing there for them to point at. Because the exemplary Christian life that you are living. He says you need to be a model citizen. And it's in that context, a little later, in verse 18, Peter continues, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For it is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God if you bear up under unjust suffering. 
This is what pleases God. That's not to say that it's easy, brothers and sisters. You know, by the grace of God, we've often been spared from this. If you compare our life to the lives of Christians in other places in this world, and especially in other historic times, then there'd be many people who suffered immensely for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Profound injustice, great oppression. It's in, Hebrew, it's in Revelation 13, we're told about the, the beast who is given great power and authority to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And it's really quite striking what God says in that context. Hebrews 13, verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for endurance and faith for the saints. Just as the Israelites suffered grave injustice under their Egyptian rulers, so the Lord says, we should not be surprised if we also suffer grave injustice under the rulers that we have over us. And if it happens, the Lord says that it is our calling to endure, to patiently endure, and to continue in faith. The Lord doesn't leave you on your own to do it, brothers and sisters. He helps you. He strengthens you. In 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter 2, you keep reading, it's in verse 21 that God says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. First God says, you will very likely suffer injustice by those who are set over you. And the next thing that God says is he says, for to this you have been called. You've been called to bear up under unjust suffering because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He did it. You want to talk about injustice? The most profound injustice ever committed was committed against Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. He never did evil against anyone. And he bore the eternal wrath of God against sin. There's profound injustice that Christ experienced. And he bore it. He didn't resist it, but he willingly lived through it. Peter says he gave us an example. And Peter also says that he bore our sins that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He did it to renew us so that we don't respond in sinful ways any longer, but that we begin to do what was righteous as he was righteous. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, brothers and sisters. When you suffer, you suffer injustice, and you cry out to him, 
You rely upon him and you look to him and he gives you strength and he enables you to deal with that. Well, that's the first calling that we then face or that, we, that we're called to when we face injustice. The Lord says in the first place, you need to bear up under it. You need to endure, patiently endure as Christ did. The next thing the Lord calls us to is he also calls us to assist those who are over us to make good decisions. There's a profound responsibility that we have as the people of God to assist those in leadership so that they're able to make good decisions, so that they know what's righteous. If the government is passing laws that are not righteous, then it is our calling as citizens to speak to them and to address them on these matters and to tell them the truth of what we ought to do and how we ought to live. This is something that, that God, it's a privilege that God has given us within our current context. We have the opportunity to engage in government. And so let's do that. If they're thinking about things, then we need to, to meet with them and to talk with them and to assist them to know who God is and to know what's, right, what's righteous before him. You don't only leave it to ARPA. You only leave it to, to other people for whom it's their thing. This is the calling that God puts on us as his people. If you have one of these new books, the old one doesn't work because it's a different church order, but if you have one of the new books, then I invite you to, to open up at the very back of the book, we have the church order. It is in the church order, article 27. We've actually agreed as churches that this is part of the responsibility that we have especially for the office bearers. So you find that on page 652. Page 652, article 27. The title is Office Bearers in the Government. The office bearer shall impress upon the congregation its obligation to be obedient and to show respect to the government because God has instituted it. They must set a good example in this regard and by means of proper communication invoke the government to protect the ministry of the church. Two callings for office bearers. First, it is our calling to impress on the congregation the obligation to be obedient and to respect the government. As God's ordained office bearers, we call you to respect the government, to obey it, to hold it in high regard. And the second thing we do is we also, by means of proper communication, invoke the government to protect the ministry of the church. It's our calling to engage with the government, to help them, to make good decisions, particularly around the matter of the ministry of the gospel. Well, this is a a significant responsibility that we have as God's people, brothers and sisters. Our society needs our help. We are a light in a dark world. The Lord calls us to let the light shine, to speak the truth to those around us so that they can know the Lord and that they can walk in his ways. The other calling that the Lord gives us is he calls us to pray for the governed authorities. It is in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, 
The Holy Spirit tells us, he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. If you're not happy with the government, if you're not happy with the direction, decisions that it's taking, then the first thing you need to do is you need to ask yourself, have I been praying for my government? Is in part the reason for these terrible decisions, is it because prayerlessness on my part? Have I not invoked the Lord's name, asking God to bless them, to give them wisdom, to make good decisions to govern us? Our primary duty towards the government is in the first place to pray for them. It's when we pray that the Lord hears our prayers, and he blesses that, and he assists us in that. And that it is within this context, brothers and sisters, that it may yet happen that there may be times where we don't obey those who are set in authority over us. If it's a matter of suffering oppression or suffering injustice, you personally suffer because of government directives. And the first instruction the Lord has is he says, bear up under it. He says, look to me. Ask me for help and I'll help you. But if it's a matter of the government calling you to do something that goes against God's will, where you come in conflict with the law of God in some way, then the Lord says that's the context in which you may say, I obey the Lord, and I'm not doing what the government asked me to do. And we have biblical examples of that. The first one probably, Exodus 3, of the Hebrew midwives. The king of Egypt, he instructed them, if it's a little boy that's born to an Israelite woman, then you have to kill it. If it's a girl, you let it live. And these midwives said, no, I'm not doing that. I am not going to kill all the Hebrew little boys. That's just not happening. And so they disobeyed the government because they wished to obey the Lord. We have Daniel 3, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Egypt, he says, I'm building this, this great statue, and you need to bow down, and you need to worship the statue. And these three men believed in God. And they said, no, we're not going to worship the statue. We are worshiping God, no matter what happens. Or in Daniel 6, the king passes this law that no one's allowed to pray to any other god but to him alone. And Daniel deliberately disobeys the law. He gets down on his knees three times a day like he used to and he prays to his God because the Lord called him to pray and so he's going to do that. In Matthew 2 you have the wise men from the east. They meet with Herod and Herod says to them after you worship this king of the Jews then come tell me so I too can go worship him. And the wise men they, they're warned in a dream and they go back to their own country without telling Herod about where Jesus is. So they disobeyed the order of the ruler. Or in Acts, the apostles were repeatedly commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. Yet despite receiving those instructions, they steadily went on and they preached the message of the gospel. We must obey God rather than men. 
If the government instructs you to do something that's against the law of God, the time may come that you must disobey those who have been set over you. But then you have to be really certain that the reason you're disobeying is because it's against the law of God. That's the criteria, brothers and sisters. You know, it can happen. Today's context, that kind of thing can, can happen. If the government passes a law and says you're not allowed to dissuade your child from pursuing a change to their gender, they say it's illegal for you to, to dissuade them, you may very well have to say, no, I'm not going to listen to the government. I'm going to warn my child not to do this, that this is not pleasing to the Lord. If the government says you're not allowed to have a conscientious objection as a doctor or nurse against referring someone to abortion services, then you might say, I do have a conscientious objection, and I'm not referring someone to abortion services. I'm not allowed, I'm not going to do that. If the government says you're not allowed to preach against homosexuality, the day may come that we say we will preach against homosexuality. This is the word of God, and we're going to faithfully bring God's word to his people. If the government says you're not allowed to meet together as a church any longer to worship the Lord, then the time may come that as God's people will say, we will worship the Lord. We will continue to meet to do this. Maybe we meet in house churches, and we continue in faithfulness before our Father in heaven. There are times when we may, when we must, disobey our government, brothers and sisters. When that time comes, we need to be really clear. We need to make the decision together as the people of God. We need to be really clear that this is indeed against the law of God. That was the tricky part about COVID. We just came back from Canada. A lot of conversations in Canada right now about how do you build the unity within the churches once again. Well, some people with the COVID thing, they had the glasses on, and the glasses were that the government is being totalitarian. They are resisting us from worshiping the Lord. We must resist the government, but we must continue to worship God as his people. There were many others who had the glasses on of saying, the government has been given a responsibility to maintain public health. Just as they have quarantine laws in place for a hundred years, quarantine those who have Lassa fever or Ebola or yellow fever or the plague or SARS, another coronavirus. So they also have authority in COVID-19. Well, that was the struggle. There are differing understandings of what authority the government has and to what extent that authority extends. If we ever get to the point, brothers and sisters, that we need to agree together as the people of God that it's clear that the government is asking us, they're commanding us to do something that goes against the will of God. And when it is clear that we need to bathe our decisions in prayer, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. 
who need to seek the well-being of those who have been set over us. And our foundational perspective is one of respecting the authority that God has given us. The default is you respect the authority because they're established by God. And the rare exception is if the government says you need to do something that's explicitly against the will of God. It's the only way that we can ask God for his blessing, that we can receive his help. What shows how much we need the help of the Holy Spirit, shows how much we need the Lord to guide us and to lead us with his word and to bring us close to him, to keep us close to him. Let's live in humility together, brothers and sisters. Let's seek our Father, seek to be guided by his word. Let's ask him for his help so that we may walk in ways that honor him, that uphold the teaching that he has given us. The beautiful thing is that he will do that. He is our Father who loves us and who's promised to look after us. He's a God who, who delights to give unity of mind, give unity of purpose to his people, so that with one mind we faithfully serve him, and that we honor him as he intends. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 4, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Thanksgiving in prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we're going to remember our young brother, Andy Jera. So this is the, the child of Neil and Carmen Jera. So Andy has COVID, um, like his mom. But um, for Andy, it's quite a serious thing. He's in the hospital right now. He has quite a high temperature, and he's not doing well. And so we will ask God to, uh, to bless the work of the doctors and to, to make him better again. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are the king seated on the throne. We honor you for the authority that you have. You rule and your will goes. And that's a delight to us because you're our father and because you're a good God. You're full of, of righteousness and justice and mercy and compassion. Father, we thank you that you've established governing authorities in this world. You've given your authority to, to government officials, to office bearers, to parents, also to, to masters, to employers. You've given them a task to take care of those under them. Father, we wish to come to you this afternoon and to pray for those who are in authority. I want to ask that you would please help them to do their jobs well. I want to pray for our Prime Minister, for his cabinet, for the members of Parliament, of Federal Parliament. I want to ask, Father, that you please give them wisdom so that they're able to, to look after our country. Grant that they may make good laws so that we're a nation that lives in peace and order, that there can be righteousness in our dealings. Pray that you would bless the efforts that they make to protect our country and keep us safe. Pray, Father, that you, that you bless them in the decisions that they make around the care of immigration, of who's allowed to come into our country and who's not. Give them wisdom, Lord, in, in the relationships that they have with the states, that collectively you can make good decisions around caring for the health care of the nation and for the, also for the education of the youth of our nation. Father, we want to entrust also our premier and, and his cabinet and our government, our, our state government, to, to your care as well. I want to ask, Father, that you would please give them wisdom to, to govern our state in a way that honors you. Help our, our governing officials to pass laws that lead us to live at peace and harmony together within our nation. We pray, Lord, that you would also please protect us from evil laws which seek to promote that which is against your will. And one of the, the recent pieces of legislation that our state government is considering is updating its abortion laws. And the, the direction in which they're moving is they wish to, to liberalize these laws, to open them up, to make abortion more accessible in more circumstances. Father, we pray that you would please grant that we may be protected from this. We ask that you would please protect us as a, as a nation against the, the killing of the most vulnerable members of our society. Lord, we ask that you would help us to pass laws where the children are protected within the wombs of their mothers and that healthy children can be born in due time. Please frustrate the plans of those who, who seek to allow life to be ended whenever they wish. And we pray, Lord, that instead that you would help to protect the, the life of the unborn. Your Father in heaven, we, we also wish to entrust to your care those who, who've gone through this. There'll be many women within our state who've had an abortion. Lord, on the one hand, that seems like an easy solution to a difficult problem. But the reality is, for those who go through it, 
that oftentimes they carry, heavy, they carry a heavy burden. Lord, we ask that you would please work in the hearts of those who have had this, that they may repent of their sin, that they acknowledge that to you. And we pray that you would show them your grace and forgiveness. Please be merciful and please restore people so that they can walk again in faith and in holiness before you, that they can live in joy with you as their Lord and King. We also pray, Father, that you would please protect our nation and also our state from laws which seek to allow and to promote homosexuality. Lord, we, we grieve about these laws. We grieve that, that we live in a nation where homosexuals can get married to one another, where that's, that's recognized by our state. We grieve, Father, that, that we live in a nation where, where they're afforded many rights and privileges in many areas of government. Lord, you, you teach us that man and woman are to come together, that marriage is, is the exclusive union of one man and one woman, that you teach us that this is where blessing is found. Father, we, we pray that we may uphold that, that we may respect that, that we can also speak to our elected representatives about that. I want to ask also for those who, who struggle with these matters. There may be some in our churches as well who, who have homosexual desires, some who may have acted on that, and that can lead to, to a great sense of, of guilt and shame and a great burden in their hearts. Father, we pray once again that you would lead your people to repentance, that they may confess their sin to you, that you would forgive them for what they have done, and that you would show them mercy once again. Father, we also pray that you protect us from also the laws that seek to, to promote the ability to change your genders. Seems like such a strange thing, Lord. It's not the way that you intended it. You made us male and female, and you, you've given men and women different roles, different responsibilities, different gifts, and different abilities. And yet we live in a time where, where that's not always respected, that's not understood, where people seek to, to change what you have established. Lord, we ask that you would save us from this. We pray that we may have the wisdom to respect the, the boundaries and the good instruction, the good gifts that you've given us, that we may uphold that and that we may also promote that to those around us. Father, once again, there may be people within our church here who struggle with these ideas. And if that's the case, Lord, then we ask that you would please be merciful to them, that you assist them with your Holy Spirit, that they can understand from the scriptures how you created male and female and how you intend them to be different. Lord, we ask that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit so that we can walk in righteousness before you. We pray that you would rescue us and that you show us mercy. Please grant that, that we may repent of our sin, that we may receive your help in this matter as well. Father, we also pray about the, the other matters in our state, the other laws that concern us greatly, laws around voluntary assisted dying, around euthanasia, as you call it, we ask, Lord, that you would please protect the senior citizens of our state. We pray, Lord, that they can get very good palliative care, that they're able to be helped with the pain that they have to endure and with the suffering they, they go through. Please grant, Lord, that, that you would please help us to respect the authority that you have over our lives. 
that our lives are not our own, but that they belong to you, that life is a gift that comes from your hand. Lord, we ask that you would please grant that we can also speak to our elected representatives about these matters, that we assist them to make good laws that protect life, and that we don't bring blood guilt upon ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would please forgive us as a state, as a nation, for all the guilt that we've brought on ourselves, and that you, that you help us to flee from sin, to repent of it, and to walk in holiness before you. Father, we thank you that you are a merciful and a gracious God. We also pray for, for our elected representatives, that they bless us as a church. We want to ask, Lord, that you help them so that they can, can protect the worship of your name, that we have the opportunity to meet in peace and in freedom to worship you, and that we have the opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel. Father, we thank you that up to this point we may do so, and we pray that this may continue. And we ask that you would grant wisdom to our elected representatives to realize what a, a special gift your church is, that it is the apple of your eye. Father in heaven, we ask that you would please also grant us your blessing and all the other authority structures that you have given to us. Please bless us as parents and children. Pray that as parents that we may train up our children to know and love you. Help us to love our children from the heart, Father. Help us to teach them what it looks like to be faithful, to be honest, to be trustworthy, to to be righteous. And please grant that, that as we love and care for our children, that they can thrive. Lord, so many times, in so many ways, we fail. So often we're caught up in our own things as parents. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we're proud. Sometimes we, we don't really care about our children. Please forgive us for our sins. Please help our children to, to also obey their parents. Be with the youth of our congregation, Lord. Please protect them from sin. Youth the children as well. We have a chance, they have an opportunity to be at home with their parents. Time for, for summer holidays. So thankful for that gift, Lord. And we want to pray for your blessing over this time. Grant that there may be peace and harmony in our families. That we use the time to encourage and to build each other up. To love each other. Grant that the children have an attitude where they seek to be helpful for their parents. That they do whatever they can to help and bless their mom and their dad. And we pray that in this way, that there can be unity within our families. One of the challenges we often face is, is around the use of, of media. Children, they often wish to go out with their friends or to, to view different things or to use different media. And sometimes there's a lot of conflict in our families around that. I want to pray for your wisdom, Lord, that as parents we have wisdom to guide and instruct our children in these matters, and that as children we can accept the guidance and instruction of our parents. Please help us in these things for Jesus' sake. Please also be with the, the young children. Pray that you would protect them, that you give them a childhood that's packed full of love and kindness. I think especially of, of our young brother, Andy Jera. I want to ask, Lord, that you protect his health. He's in the hospital because he has COVID, and it's quite a serious thing. It's quite a high temperature. Please bless the work of the doctors, that they're able to look after him. And please grant healing to this young man. Please also be with his parents, Lord, and please comfort them. Give them a rich measure of the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and grant that they may trust you, and that they may receive your assurance, the assurance of your love in their hearts. Father, we ask that you would please also bless the office bearers in the church, grant that as elders that so we have good oversight to the members of the congregation, help us to be righteous, to set a good example for your flock, help us to be godly, Lord, to be wise in our dealings with your people. 
please grant that the congregation is able to submit willingly to the guidance and instruction of the elders. Grant that we love the men who you've set over us, that we respect them and hold them in high regard. Grant that we listen to their advice and that together there can be peace and unity, that we together can be of one mind in our worship of you. Lord, we thank you that we can ask all these things of you. We believe that our Lord Jesus Christ has paid for all our sins, and we trust that he will give us your spirit to be able to help us to walk in his ways. Lord, we, we thank you that we can pray for these things. We thank you for listening to us. It is in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this afternoon is for the Ministry of Mercy. Just before we give our collections, I'd like to read with you just a few verses from, from Proverbs 3. It is in Proverbs 3, verse 9, that the Lord encourages us, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. So there's the calling, and, and then the promise comes that your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting over with wine. As we faithfully give to the Lord and trust before him, the Lord also loves to bless us and to look after us. After the thank offerings, we're going to sing together from hymn 44, verses 1, 3, and 4.
Before you go home, the Lord wishes to assure you and to grant you his love and his grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.